Hello everybody, good afternoon, good morning and uh, welcome to episode 10 of the Clockwork CIO. Today's guest is, is Mark Yusko, CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Morgan Creek Capital Management, an SEC registered investment advisor based out of Chapel Hill, uh, North Carolina. Morgan Creek's investment process and strategy uh, embraces the, uh, the endowment model, very well known, which we'll explore in a bit more detail during our discussion. Uh, and Mark is also <clears throat> the managing partner of Morgan Creek Digital. Again, we'll find out a little bit more about that uh, over the course of the next hour. Uh, great to see you, Mark, and thanks so much for joining me today. No, thanks for having me on the show. Very excited about, about this conversation. You know, I, I love the, the approach you've taken with, with the podcast to kind of dive deep beyond just the nuts and bolts of investing and, and into kind of how these, these businesses work and function and, and vision. And so I'm, I'm excited. Well, no, thank you, Mark. Yeah, looking forward to it. I'm going to start by just getting a couple of uh, thoughts from you on your leadership philosophy. How yeah. you could, because you're in a unique position where you're a CEO and a CIO, so <laughs> you're kind of wearing two hats there. So, I, what, how would you, how would you sort of explain your your, your uh, leadership? It's, it's 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 a great great question and and one that that uh, people will laugh at my answer. I, I would ditch the CEO title tomorrow if I could. Um, I, I am not a detail guy. In fact, probably if I were growing up today, I'd be diagnosed with ADD and on medication and all that good stuff. But, um, I'm, I'm a vision guy. I'm a big picture guy. I'm an idea guy. And, and so the good news, I have an amazing COO, chief operating officer, uh, at Morgan Creek. And, and he just takes care of everything that, that I'm, I'm just not good at. And, so this goes to kind of leadership style, and uh, so I retain the title because I, you know, I founded the firm, but uh, I'm really a, an investment guy at heart. And what I really believe is that we all have strengths, gifts that, that we're given, and we're not good at everything. And there was a, a great book written about this years ago called Strength Finders, and you know, one of the examples they use is. Uh, you know, you have kids and they come home with their report card and they get four A's and a D. What do we do? Hmm. Oh my gosh, we'll get you a tutor for that subject and we'll spend all your time on that. And he says, what should you do? Drop that class and focus on the four A's because it turns out you're really good at those four things. You don't have to be good at everything. Now, of course, you have to pass your, you know, basic things to get through school. But, but at the end of the day, we all have certain gifts. Some of us are good communicators. Some of us are good writers. Some of us are good, you know, visionaries. Some are good stress, uh, strategists or tacticians. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. There's, there's also a, uh, a personality type and temperament testing. You know, there's the Myers-Briggs and, and there's the Kiersey temperament. And, and so on, on the Myers-Briggs, right, I am an ENTP which is, you know, all about the future and open-ended and, and they say opposites attract, right? So my wife right. <laughs> is an I, F, S, J, or a J, 
Right. And so she's the exact opposite of me, and we get along perfectly because she does all the things that I'm terrible at, and I do the things that she doesn't want to do, and and together we're we're the perfect. So you're and, the extra, you're the extrovert. Your wife's the introvert. Is that right? Yes. And, <laughs> and you know the funny thing about that, it, it's you know we we attach uh, meaning to words, right? And so. You know, people hear the word extrovert and introvert and they're like, oh, well, extroverts are the life of the party and, and introverts are the nerds. It's actually not what it means at all. It means how do you recharge your battery? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, when you're drained, do you want to go out and be with other people? That's an extrovert. Or do you mm -hmm. want to be by yourself and read a book and, and recharge that way? Like, you know, me talking to you for, for many people uh, might say, well, that, that would be a drain, right? It's because I got to work and it's, I'm like, no, I, I just get fired up to have conversations. I want to be with people. It'd be even better if we could be face to face. Yeah. But, um, but it is interesting because we, you know, you think about the last one, which is perceiving versus judging and judging has a, again, has a, and a connotation, you know, mm. like, well, no, it just means that a judger knows how to make a list. James, I can't even spell the word list. I, I don't know what, it, my wife has lists of her lists, right? I mean, <laughs> she's amazing. She's organized. She's brilliant. I, I, I kind of fly by, and I like open-ended things. I don't want the project to end. I might be able to improve it a little bit. I might, so the, a perceiver just wants to take in more information and make things better. And again, that's not good or bad. It's just how we function. Yeah. And so I think, your leadership style needs to reflect how you are as a person. And, and I think those are innate, right? You have gifts. And in fact, in investing, uh, there's really two schools, value and growth. Again, mm -hmm. not good or bad. And uh, Seth Klarman, the famous value investor at Baupost, says it, says, look, it's genetic. You either got the value gene or you didn't. Right. You know, Charlie Munger, God rest his soul, just passed this week, you know, at 99. Hell of a ride. Uh, we should all be so lucky to make it to 99. Um, but, you know, he had the value gene. And mm. that that's not, again, it's not good or bad. It's just who you are. I mean, I have it and I seek value. And and the blind spot of that is I'm I'm not really good at... Uh, kind of seeing the future. I mean, I'm I'm actually okay maybe at at ideas in the future, but when it comes to the individual companies, it's hard for me to imagine that Google could become as dominant as it became. You know, we were lucky. We we got to invest in Sequoia back in the early '90s when I was at Notre Dame, and they put a little money with this company Google and. I tell the story, you know, we took half a million dollars and turned into $200 million. It was like this aha moment for me in my career where mm -hmm. I'm like, yep, investing early in infrastructure is really, really important. Yeah. But I remember when, when it went public, the stock fell from 100 to 50 because people were like, how are they going to monetize? You know, they, they don't make any money. And I had this good friend who was a deep value investor, uh, run a hedge fund. He said, this thing's going to 20 bucks. Look at, look at the numbers. And so I'm out in California and I, I was with this other friend who's a growth manager, um, famous, uh, worked for a firm called Integral Capital with Roger McNamee. And 
I was telling him the story about how Google is overvalued. And he was like, Mark, are you joking? Google's a thousand dollar company. I'm like, Glenn, come on. Glenn, it's like, Mark, you don't understand. They, they will be worth a thousand dollars. Now they're worth more than a thousand dollars today. And, hmm. and at, at, you know, $50, that sounded crazy. But Glenn is a seer, right? He can see that they had redefined how you do search, right? They don't actually search the internet. This is a crazy stat, and then I'll, I'll stop talking. Nice. So there are 1.7 billion websites in the world, right? From zero in 1991. Today, they're 1.7 billion and growing. Hmm. Google owns half of them-ish. What does that mean? Well, every time you type a question into Google, it sends you to a site with all the answers because they've seen that question before. If you happen to ask a question that's never been asked before, they'll make a website with all the answers. And so it doesn't actually search the internet. It goes to where the answers are, which is totally logical, but no one else yeah. did it that way. And so because of that, it drives better functionality, drives more traffic, and, and therefore they can, they can monetize it. Which is really cool. So, yeah, that, that ability to look ahead 10, 15, 20 years to, like you said, with, uh, you know, seeing where something like Google could become, um, that, that's maybe something that, that you would say is that you're not, um, you're, you're, you, you, you see the big picture, but maybe. I could see the big picture of, to an of extent. the internet. I can mm. see the big picture of the internet, and I and I was smart enough to to make investments in venture capital, which is uh, investing in innovation as an asset class, right? I mean, it's it's out there uh, putting capital to work at things that that haven't been invented yet. But when it comes to the individual companies, um, that I always think I always look at the value. And I'm like, well, yeah. why would I pay 30 times earnings or 40 times earnings or 50 times earnings or in the case of some of the crazy companies here recently, 200 times earnings. Mm. And that just never made sense to me because I'm, I'm, I'm genetically a value guy. Yeah. And so I think the, the balance for me is in those places where I have a blind spot, I'll just outsource it. And so I'll give money to, to Glenn at, at Light Street and yeah. he'll buy those things on our behalf or for our client's behalf and, uh, you know, ride, ride the wave. And then I can go try to intuit where I think the next iteration is. And that's, that's how I ended up in digital. So it, I'm okay with the big picture, but not the, the implementation level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's understood. So that that that's interesting. Then that that what you've already described there, Mark, is almost a little bit of um, a very important quality to any any CIO, any leader is is actually knowing your your own strengths. I mean, you spoke earlier about you, the. the Kid comes home, they got four A's and a D. Well, let's focus on the four A. Let's well, don't worry about the D. Like, let's just, let's just like, let's focus on your strengths. So yeah. you already know how important. How how important is that to to know? Self knowledge first. Yeah. Self knowledge is critically important, and and also honesty, right? 
we're human and humans are going to human and we're optimistic. You know, I, mm -hmm. I always marvel. Um, it, it's not really how it happened, but, but I would say, James, who was the third guy? And it was a guy because the guys were the hunters back in the stone age and the women were the gatherers. Yeah. And um, who was the third guy that went out to get a mastodon with a spear? Because the first two never came back, right? The first mm -hmm. two got eaten up, you know, beaten up by the, the mastodon. Yeah. The third guy, so the way, I, the way I paint the picture is he went out and he was going, you know, trepidatiously up and he tripped over the rock and he fell forward and the thing went right up there. Oh my gosh, he killed the mastodon. Okay, now we know how to do it. So now everyone go kill the mastodons. <laughs> we, eat, we eat well and civilization goes on. <laughs> but who was the third one? They said, hey, my two friends never came back. So I'm optimistic. I'm going to be the one that can do this. Right. Or, like, I stood on the, the westernmost point of Europe this summer. I went over to Spain and Portugal, and you're standing on the edge of Portugal, looking out over the ocean. You can see the earth curve on the horizon. The wind's blowing, and it's cold. Yeah. Who got on a ship <laughs> and just sailed to see where we go? See where we go, and we <laughs> yeah. don't know what's out there, and maybe the earth actually is flat, and we're going to fall off. Who, who knows? Those people had courage, but, but my, my point back there is um, <laughs> self-knowledge and honesty. So we all think we're good at everything, and that's totally not. We're, we're optimistic. We're human beings, but we're not good at everything, and, and you actually can't be good at everything, and you can get better at things if you try, but there are certain things, like there's a great book, Malcolm Gladwell's book, uh, about the, the 10,000 hours, right? Yeah. And he talks about that in it uh, where if you spend 10,000 hours doing something, mm. you, you can become great at it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not that you're necessarily born with this innate thing to be a violinist. I'll argue that, yeah, there's a little bit of genetics in there. But yeah. but if you practice, you, you can be great. Mm. Well, there's a another uh, element to that, which is, and it comes from the this, this Strength Finders book, that it's deliberate practice. So like if I go out and shoot free throws, I can shoot free throws till the end of time mm -hmm. and I will never be a good free throw shooter because I've never brought in a coach to teach me the right methodology and the right practice form because I, I was not a basketball guy. Now, could I hire a coach? Yeah, but even then, I'm just not a superstar athlete and I've never been my thing. Not not good, bad, or indifferent, but that's just not my thing. And so I think that honesty of saying, okay, like I embrace my ADD. I mean, you've seen it as we've been sitting here talking. Like I didn't even ask you any of those questions and you're talking about that. It's just, it's how my <laughs> brain works, but I harness that because what it also does is it, it gives me good ideas. It'll right. take information and it'll synthesize it. I'm a pretty good synthesizer. And, and then it'll spit out an idea that mm -hmm. I can then test. And this is why extroverts and introverts are different. Again, not good or bad, but here's how it works. Mm. So I went to this thing uh, called the Center for Creative Leadership maybe 15 years ago. And it's this place in North Carolina. And mm -hmm. I thought I was being sent there as punishment. My board <laughs> sent me there. And oh, I thought they're like, oh, you're a bad leader. Go there to learn how to be a good leader. When I got there, I realized it was like the greatest gift ever. It wasn't a punishment. 
It was an investment. They were saying, here, get self-knowledge and understand. So what they do is they give you an analysis or they give you this series of tests and they figure out, you know, what are your control needs? What is your, you know, uh, which predilection are you toward extroversion or introversion? Mm -hmm. And then they do this cool thing. So they put four of us on a team. And I don't know if you've ever done the exercise where you're, you're stranded in a car and they have 13 things like a hubcap and a candle and they, so they rank the things in what's the most important to survive. Right, right. <laughs> and so we're doing this exercise and they're filming it. And they intentionally put two extroverts and two introverts. And so me and the other extrovert, we're up on the board and we're writing it down. And, we're, and this other guy's just sitting over here. He's not doing anything. And in the post analysis, we're, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you say anything? You never asked me. Mm. I mean, literally, my mind is blown. I'm like, he had the answer the whole time. He knew the answer, but he wasn't going to tell it because we didn't ask him. We didn't invite him into our crazy conversation. Right, right, right. And so right. you have to respect other people's differences and your mm. own differences. And again, embrace what you're good at and and take advantage of, of building a team of mm-hmm. people that complement the things that, that you're not. So... That's that's a really interesting dynamic, too, that um, once you figure out what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are, then try to build teams around you Mm -hmm. that make the whole better. Yeah. Well, this is a great example of of where you just need to get the best people in place to build a a fantastic team that where each and every individual complements each other, yourself. And and that's all, all great businesses, all great CEOs, CIOs. The secret to it is, has been pretty, pretty much consistent. Yeah. Have a great team. Just build a great team. I mean, I know again, it sounds obvious, but when you were talking about looking across the ocean, the Atlantic, basically the next stop being, you know, North, uh, North America, you know, when you're looking across the ocean, there, thinking I'm going to get on a ship and just sail off. Yeah. And let, now the, the, you've got to get people to want to come along and do that with you as well. You've got to, it's not, you're not going to do it on your own. So how- Oh my gosh. Absolutely. That, that's a great point, right? The captain can get on that ship and if he, he or she leaves by themselves, they die. Full stop, right? One person cannot pilot that ship, no matter how skilled a sailor they are. Uh, you got to build a team. And you got to convince them <laughs> that this is a really good idea. Yes. And I, again, I learned something, this is crazy, that the water, okay, back then they didn't have, you know, water purification plants and all that. Right. The water was only good for about four days. Really? Before the bacteria started to really cause you to get sick. Yeah. So then you had to catch the rainwater off the sails and refill <laughs> the things. And oh my gosh, like how did anyone ever make it? But they did because human ingenuity is the most powerful force in the world. Yeah. And, and because they had people with different talents. But mm. look, a great leader, I think, is 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 a visionary, 
right? But a visionary right. yeah. also yes. has to be a great salesman or woman, salesperson. And what does that mean, sales? And I, I used to get really upset by this. So I'm, again, I'm a self-proclaimed chief investment officer. I'm an investment person. And I would do a lot of speaking. I, I like to talk, which I, <laughs> I, I, I would say I, I thank my mother. My mom, her nickname was Yak Yak Face because she could talk to anyone, anywhere, anytime about anything. And she's amazing. She's she's the best small talker. I wish I had a tenth it's a gift. of her. It's, it's a gift. No, it's a huge gift. And she's the best. And every she's never met a stranger. And everybody loves her. And it's amazing. But I got a little bit of that. And so I like to talk. And so I go out and I speak. And he goes, oh, you're, you're such a good present. You, you must be the head of sales. Like, no, I, I am not the head of sales. I am, I am the, I'm the investment guy. And I was like offended, yeah. which is not very nice because the head of sales is not a good position. And, and then I realized this friend said to me, Mark, you're just looking at it wrong. Sales is simply transferring your enthusiasm to another. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, geez, I'm, I'm actually pretty good at that. Okay, now everyone's a salesperson, right? From, from the receptionist to the CIO to everybody in between is a salesperson because without sales, you don't grow. And so once I kind of realized that, then I'm like, okay, now I've got multiple hats. I've got multiple things I need to be good at and I need to build a team around it. But the, um, the interesting thing about that in terms of investing, if you bring being a CEO and a CIO together, mm -hmm. building a team with differentiated skills and talents is important, right? I, I, it does use baseball, you know, simple game. Um, but everybody wants to be the pitcher, right? Everybody wants to be the pitcher because that's the most glory. And yeah, it's like the quarterback. Yeah. We, or the quarterback in football, yeah. Or, or the, you know, the center striker in, in football, football. Yeah. And it's like, okay, but we need a right fielder in baseball and we need some defenders. And, but I don't want to play that. I, I want to score the goals. Like, yeah, but if we don't yeah. defend, we, we don't win. And there's a funny one, Dean Smith, famous coach from here in North Carolina, uh, University of North Carolina. Uh, he sat his team down one year. He's telling the story that, okay, guys, I know all of you are amazing because, you know, they're one of the best schools where Michael Jordan went. And so they get good talent. I know all of you scored 30 points a game in high school, right? But I'm here to tell you, I've never coached a team where we scored 150 points. Five guys on the court, 30 points each. Mm. Not once. Mm. So some of you are not going to score very much because you have a different job. And actually this year, we had this, this young guy who, again, in high school, amazing point score because he was a man among boys. The other day, he had zero points, mm. but he had 10 assists. 10 assists in a game, which means we made at least... 20, probably closer to 25 points off those uh, uh, assists. Right. And that's his right. role. Yeah. And once you figure out the roles on a team, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's take that to investing. What we want in investing is not a single asset, mm -hmm. no matter how good that asset is. We want a whole bunch of assets. And actually, we want a whole bunch of assets that are volatile, right? We want assets that are mercurial. We want that salesperson to be super 
aggressive and we want that operations person to be super good at what they do. And, and so we want high volatility, high output, mm. but we want uncorrelation. We want them to be uncorrelated with one another so they zig when the other zags. Mm. And so when I'm out mm. over-promising, because my vision, I'm a vision mm. guy, mm. I want the operations guy to say, yeah, I know what he told you, but here's what is actually going to happen. And I'm going to make this happen. And I've got a team of accountants and auditors and, yeah. and, and we're going to make sure that, that actually happens. And so the same thing in a portfolio. Yeah. You, you think about adding equities to bonds. Oh my gosh, that sounds so risky. Like, no, what would be risky is owning only bonds because mm. inflation will chew up most of your return. So you've got to have some equity returns. And then it's not just equities. You've got to have private investments and hedged investments and, and now digital assets. And it was, oh, I don't want digital. <laughs> like, well, 70 years ago, people said, I don't want equities. There was a cover story in 1979 in the United States, the death of equities. And in the article... It said no self-respecting fiduciary should ever own equities again. Because from 1968 to 1979, stocks were dead flat. Right. Well, why was that? Well, because from 1958 to 68, during the boom following the invention of the mainframe computer, mm. stocks got really overvalued. Right. And then they came back to fair value, mm. and we had a decade plus of bad performance. Well, what do humans do? They look in the rearview mirror and they say, well, it's going to be like that forever. Well, if you just bought then, you had the greatest 20 years in history, the next 20 years, one of the greatest bull markets in history, because that's how math works. Yeah. yeah. Right. If you're below average for a period of time, you have to be above average for a period of time to get back to average. Mm. Just math. It's really interesting, though. I've never heard someone talk about, OK, a multi-asset uh strategy let's just say that but but using it as an analogy to how they think about building their team i mean it's yeah. a really interesting that's a really interesting uh, idea in terms of how you think and how you've looked to get the right people in place that that complement each other that have that uh, non-correlation relationship you know and i, I well, mean and, and, yeah. I know, James, let's, let's pull that thread because I, I actually really do like it. In fact, we, we should write a book together about this because it, it makes perfect sense. You don't want to necessarily personify these inanimate objects. Sure. But, but let's do that because let's think about, you know, the universal sport. I grew up playing soccer in the U.S., football in your right. part of the world. Mm. And everybody's excited about Wrexham now and all, you know, all that oh, good yes. stuff. Although I, I still like Chelsea and... Um, but, uh, the long story short in soccer or football, there are 11 players on the field. Not every player does the same thing, nor do you want them to do the mm. same thing, nor mm. do you want them to have the same skills. You need a few really fast, really nimble strikers, right? Mm. To, to score the goals. You need some really fit, durable middies, right? Who can just run forever. <laughs> they can just run yeah. forever. That was not box me. The box. Box that the was box. not me, yeah. right? I was the striker. <laughs> I was the, and back when I was playing, they didn't have the tough offsides rules, so I could just cherry pick all game. And I scored a <laughs> lot of goals, but I didn't have to run very much, which was perfect. <laughs> and because uh, if you've seen me run, you'd understand. But, <laughs> and then you need some, some probably bigger, 
you know, on average, that now and now everybody's small and nimble and fit. But but back where I was playing, you had some bigger defenders, mm-hmm. and and then you need just an acrobatic goalie, who's also, you know, got some some tactics about how to distribute and and how to be a, a general on the field and shout orders. But if you put all strikers on the field, you get crushed mm-hmm. every game, and mm-hmm. if you put all defenders on the team. You get crushed. Now, maybe you get a lot of draws, nil-nil, whatever. Mm. But that's not very fun. Um, and uh, so so that's, you need the differentiated functionality. Mm. And in investing, it's the same thing. In your portfolio, you need some defenders, right? You need some things that protect your assets when the world's crazy, okay? So maybe some fixed income-like or, or hedged-like uh, but you also need some attackers, right? You need to score. Because yeah. if you don't score, you lose. In investing, if you don't score, you lose. Because every day, okay, the central banks around the world are chipping away at the value of your assets by devaluing your currency. Yeah. So that that salary you're drawing as a player is getting less valuable. Yeah. And that that means you're going to have to have some some offense. And... The other thing you're going to need are some some really uncorrelated kind of that that everyone every team every really great team has that player who's just so orthogonal to everything else right. that it makes the team. And I'll give you the perfect example. Yeah. So, when yeah. Michael Jordan left North Carolina, yeah, right? He was good, but he wasn't the legend yet. You know, he mm. made the shot in the game where they won the national championship, but he wasn't the legend yet. So he goes to Chicago Bulls and he gets there. And their first year, turns out he's a pretty good player. He scored 45 points a game and they lost almost every game (laughs) because he was one player of five and the other four didn't understand how to work. And and it was just like, just give the ball to Michael. Just give the ball to Michael. That's a terrible strategy. And they lost almost every game. So either the next year or the two years later, they got Scottie Pippen. Mm-hmm. It turns out Scottie was not quite as good as Michael. I mean, no one's as good as Michael, but, but Scottie was pretty darn good. But even with two great players, they never found the right mix of the other three. And they were still, and Michael went from scoring 45 a game to about 30 a game. Mm-hmm. And they were still not winning. Th- and it I wasn't until... Dennis Rodman coming yeah. in. I, 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 was, I, knew, I, I knew Dennis was... I, 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 for, well, first it was Horace Grant, then it was Dennis Rodman. But it was right. Horace Grant who was totally orthodox. He had these big goggles, you know, yeah. he, he, had, he had glasses, and, and, mm. and it was Horace, the first one. And, but he had a ho- totally different style. He was a great rebounder. He played great defense. And he and Michael went to score 20-plus points a game. And suddenly they were winning all the time. Mm. And you needed the three, and then you needed some role players. And then Phil comes in, the leader, right, who could build the team around him that got them to focus on the very simple, you know, triangle offense, which then applies to every sport. And again, you need three. You need three sides of a triangle. You can't have two, can't have one. You got to have three. And so I think 
in a portfolio, you kind of need the same thing, right? You need your defense, you need your offense, and then you need that orthogonal piece, that, mm. that hedging piece that protects you. And it could be a great goalie, right? It could be in, in, in soccer. It could be that great defender or rebounder in basketball. Mm. It could be that great hedged equity position in, in uh, portfolios. That's what, that's what, look, the only reason you and I are talking, actually, is because <laughs> back in 2000 and 2002, my, I was affectionately known as the Madonna of hedge funds. Because I was up on stage all the time. You know, she was hot back then. And, and I was up on stage saying, y'all need to buy hedge funds. <laughs> and people were like, hedge funds? That, that's where all the bad people are. That, that's risky. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. It lowers the risk of the portfolio. Our portfolio would be less risky if we have more hedge funds. Yeah. And so here's the funny story. So I come <laughs> to North Carolina and I'm the CIO. And I say, okay, we're going we're gonna to start buying hedge funds. And the, the president who, who brought me and says, well, Mark, um, last year we had this one board member and he didn't really like hedge funds. And so he passed a resolution. So we banned hedge funds. Like, huh, that was not disclosed in my interview. Okay, yeah. fine. You know what? No hedge funds. We will have absolute return, opportunistic equity, and, and uh, absolute return, opportunistic equity, and uh, long short. He says, that, that's just nomenclature, right? I'm like, yes. He says, good, as long as we're clear. <laughs> and we went to 30% in those strategies. And from 2000 to 2002, when the average endowment lost 25% of their money, we were flat. Now, I'm never going to break my arm, pat myself on the back for not making money. But zero is way better than down 25. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Because we started earning money on the other side from dollar one, whereas those down 25% had to make back a third before they started going up again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, now, now, this is when you were at Notre Dame Investment. Well, I, I just, I left Notre Dame and come down to North Carolina in 1998, which, and, and to bring basketball and, and investing together, the amazing thing about that is, is I came down and it was the year that Dean Smith, the famous iconic coach, had retired. But the team, the UNC team, had three amazing players, Antoine mm -hmm. Jameson, who everyone knows, and, and Vince Carter, who everybody knows, and this guy, Ed Cota, who was the point guard. And they had a couple other great players too, but those three were like the Michael, Scotty, and Horace, or Dennis Rodman uh, of the of the Bulls, yeah. And so I go to my very first basketball game, and we're ranked number twenty because people weren't sure that they were going to be good if Dean had retired, and they had this assistant coach who was elevated to head coach. And uh, Florida State was ranked number twelve. North Carolina won the game by fifty five points. Which is impossible, right? You can't beat the number 12 team by 55 points. That, that's just no way. And by the end of the game, they were doing the Harlem Globetrotters where the one guy would throw it off the backboard and the other, Vince Carter, would come in and do a one-handed slam. I mean, it was the most amazing thing I had ever seen. And it was, it was the combination of talent, right? Individual talent, a system, you know, proven for, for decades that worked, 
but also uh, a willingness by the leader, right? Bill Guthridge, who's a very good person, but he was not the the strategist, perhaps, that Dean Smith was. Mm. But he didn't try to be that. He let them be them, and he let the team evolve into their dynamic. And and the reason that that's important is funny. I um, got to spend some time with that other great coach down down the street uh, at that. You know, we 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 affectionately call it the University of New Jersey at Durham, but but Duke mm -hmm. uh, down the road. And they have this coach who's done pretty well, you know, Coach K. And uh, I got to talk to him about investing uh, a number of years ago. And about halfway through the conversation, he says, you know, you and I have the same job. And I'm like, okay, humor me, Coach. I, I, <laughs> I don't see it. What do I have in common with, like, literally the greatest coach of all time? <laughs> and I know the people in North Carolina hate me when I say that. But he, he technically has the numbers to back it up. <laughs> and um, he says, well, think about it. We both try to identify talent. We go recruit that talent. We then put the team together. We drop a game plan. We put the team on the court and we sit down. He mm. says, I never take a shot. You actually, as an allocator, never make an actual investment. I said, oh my God, I have the same job as Coach K. That's mm -hmm. awesome. And, but then he said, what separates, do you know what separates the great players from the average players? I'm like, no, but you're going to tell me, right? Mm. And he said, yeah. So an average player always focuses on the last play. And this is what makes great investors. The ability to, says the great players, investors, people, whatever, focus on the next play. So in basketball, how many times you see someone miss a shot, then go down and commit a stupid foul? Because they're you thinking are. about missing the shot. Yeah. A great player, Michael Jordan talks about this, says, I missed 19,680 shots. It's like he knew the number, right? That's amazing. I don't even remember taking any of them. You go yeah. down, you play good defense, you steal the ball, you make a layup. Right. And it's that ability to erase the mistake or the miss and focus on the next play. And, and again, back to Dean Smith, you know, arguably the greatest coach of all time. Um either way. And he has this thing called Ralph. So we all make mistakes, right? Mm -hmm. All of us, whether we're doing leadership, whether we're doing investing, whether we're you know doing a podcast, I mean, we all make mistakes. And uh, what do you do? You're Ralph. You recognize it. Mm -hmm. You admit it. Ooh, that's the hard part. Mm. You learn from it. And then you forget it. The forgetting is the critical piece. Now, the learning is important. I have a, a good buddy. He's one of the best hedge fund managers out there out on the West Coast, uh, this guy, Bill Duhamel. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it's so funny. He's so unassuming. He's got this little office in the Bay Area. It's not a palace. They're worth, you know, they manage billions. He has a little paper sign taped, literally taped to the one of the cubes as you walk in. Oh, yeah. It says, with every investment, we get richer or wiser never both. Mm. And it's such absolute genius. When something goes your way, you don't think about it. You just pat yourself on the back. Oh, I'm so smart. Look how great that was. <laughs> you don't actually think, was that a good outcome, which was luck, or was it a good process, which is skill? Because mm. remember, in a two-by-two two matrix, we have good decisions, 
with good outcomes. That's what we hope for. Yeah. We have bad decisions with bad outcomes. We like to avoid those. We have good decisions with bad outcomes. Those happen. But the most dangerous of all, the bad <laughs> decisions with good outcomes. That's like Vegas. Right. Going to Vegas is a bad decision, generally speaking, because okay? you're going to lose money. The house wins. Mm. But the problem is some people make that bad decision. And I'm just kidding around. Vegas is fun. <laughs> but, but you go and you gamble, and it's entertainment. But, but the thing is, the people that, that get lucky the first time, then they think it's skill. Mm. And they bet more, and they end up losing more. And, and that's because the house always wins, right? That's the nature of the business. That's why it's so profitable and why the stocks are worth so much. Mm. But I think that that ability to constantly, when, you, when you're wrong, to go back and learn and analyze and study what to do, go back to strengths and weaknesses. If, if, I, if I'm a really good uh, analyst and I'm really good at the numbers mm. and something doesn't work out, I'm like, well, okay, did I make a mistake in my process? Was there an external event? But that ability to analyze and then learn, oh yeah, I was probably too aggressive in my model. Or nope, it wasn't me. The model's good. It's just I didn't anticipate this threat from this competitor. Or I didn't see the ice storm that came that hurt, you know, short-term sales. Yeah. And that it's just that that combination of things about, you know, one, know what your role is on the team, uh, know what you're good at, what your strengths are, be willing to and understand and appreciate that you're going to make mistakes and you're going to have setbacks along the way, get better from it, learn from it, grow from it. Mm. And, um, and then just constantly be, you know, looking to improve and enhance both the team or the portfolio or yourself mm. as, as part of that, that uh, process. Yes. This, this Ralph, uh, analogy acronym, um, which is really, really interesting to, yeah recognize when you've you know made a mistake but 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 learn from it move on and always keep yeah just keep focus on the keep, next play keep it's, moving um, forward it's 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 look the very best of the very best and i've actually done a lot of work on this you know if you look at the absolute very best of the very best um george soros julian mm -hmm. robertson michael steinhardt they're right about 58% of the time. Mm. The average investor is wrong more than they're right. And that's okay. Why is that okay? Because George Soros said it best and Stanley Druckenmiller quoted him. Mm. It's not whether you're right or wrong. It's how much money you make when you're right and how much you lose when you're wrong. Yeah. And the key is that being wrong is okay. Staying wrong, not okay. Mm -hmm. mm. And the problem for most investors, here's a crazy thing. Over the last 20 years, this JP Morgan data, last 20 years, if you just bought and held stocks, you made eight and a half percent. Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty not, good. Not, not great, but, but, but pretty good. Mm. If you just bought and held bonds, you made 6.5%. Mm. Again, less good, but, but still okay. Just pick one, hold it for the whole period. Six and a half or eight and a half, maybe 50-50, make seven and a half. You know what the average investor made? 2.9. What? 2.9. How? Why? Mm. Two reasons. One, humans 
we do two, two things really, really well. We buy what we wish we would have bought. And we're spectacular at this, right? We wait till it goes up. And then when it feels good, we buy it. Because when it's down here, it doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. In fact, I, I talk about this all the time. If you make an investment and you feel good about it, you're probably going to lose money. Right. If you feel really good about it, you might lose a lot of money. <laughs> if you feel a little uneasy, a little unsettled, you're probably going to make money. If you feel really sick to your stomach, you probably make a lot of money. Mm. And, and it's because if you feel good about it, it's already in the price. Everybody, yeah. The reason you feel good is everyone's telling you how smart you are. Yeah. When you have an idea and everybody, particularly everybody you respect, is telling you you're an idiot, oh, now you're on to something. Because mm. you can judge the quality of an idea by the quality of its detractors, right? And so if you think about this, this process, you, you want to constantly be moving your capital away from recent success mm. into the stuff that has underperformed because the math says it's going to come back to normal. And so if you think about why the average investor make the 2.9, one was they were always buying the top. Yeah. And then after it goes down, they freak out. And the second thing humans do is they sell what they're about to need. And they do that almost as well as they buy what they wish they would have bought. But the real reason is this unwillingness to admit they're wrong. Yeah. And having to prove that they're right. So they buy it up here too high and it falls. They're like, I'm right. The market's wrong. Okay, first of all, the market's never wrong. The market <laughs> is, by definition, always right. It is the representation of the buyers and sellers' collective decision-making. So it is always right. Mm -hmm. So that's a bad, a bad excuse. The second thing is you, you want to prove that you're right. And in some cases, you might be, right? But you have to go back and look at your work and make sure the process was good and and maybe there's a reason that, that other people don't understand. And in that case, you would, you would actually buy more. Mm. Uh, Amazon's a great example of that. Amazon's been very volatile throughout its life. Yeah. But every time it dipped, you should have bought more. Because right, you would have right. done the work and said, hey, no, they're, they, they understand. And they're doing a good job. The world doesn't understand. Mm. And this is a key part of uh, understanding how, to, how investing works. Volatility which everybody thinks is a bad thing. They think that's the measure of risk. Volatility is not risk. Risk is failing to outperform inflation over the long term, right? Because mm. inflation robs your wealth. So you need to have a strategy like an endowment that has embraced this, that's light on bonds, heavy on equity, but not stocks, all equity, real estate equity, commodity equity, private equity, venture capital equity, all the different equities. Yeah. And the, and the willingness to constantly rebalance and have the strategic plan. But, but importantly, you need to uh, constantly look at, at that portfolio from a, a holistic perspective rather than getting tied to any one specific idea because volatility yeah. is simply a measure of uncertainty about the future outcome of an idea or an asset, hmm. right? Why do T-bills have no volatility? Because in 91 days, we're 99.999999% sure 
that the U.S. government will pay us our interest. Yeah. So we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to think about it. So we have this, uh, wow, that's interesting. I'm not sure where that came from. Apple's celebrating something on my screen. Um, <laughs> so uh, that, that volatility is, is basically zero. But the problem is having a lot in T-bills won't win the race because inflation roughly equals the yield on T-bills. That's the way it works. Yeah. So you have to move out on the volatility curve. Yeah. But the, the volatility is if you buy a bond, you make a little more return, but there's uncertainty. Is the company going to default? Are they going to make their payments? And high-quality bonds have lower volatility. Low-quality bonds have higher volatility. Then you get into equities. Equities, you might not get paid. They're a contingent claim, not a contractual claim. So there's more volatility. You get into venture capital, big volatility. This company might fail. This company might be great. And so I look at it today with, with the digital asset space where I spend a lot of my time now with Bitcoin. Yeah, Everybody's right. like, oh, Bitcoin's going to zero. Bitcoin's <laughs> dead. Okay, Bitcoin's been around for 15 years. Mm. It's been the best performing asset in 12 of those 15 years, including this year. And it's compounded at higher than all the other assets, if you just bought it and held it, kind of like Amazon. Mm -hmm. And yet people still have no exposure because, oh, it's going to, and people said, oh, it's dead. Like 428 times they've claimed it's going to zero, yet it's not zero. It's $38,000 this morning per, per Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And, and why, is, why is there such vehemence that it could be worth zero or 38,000? That's a huge volatility, right? That's a huge, it's because, if you don't understand something, you're going to dismiss it and say, oh, it's worthless. Mm. Okay. So that's going to create a huge variability. And that volatility is actually your friend. Because the cool thing about Bitcoin as a portfolio tool, it's uncorrelated with stocks and bonds because stocks and bonds derive their value from economic growth, interest rates, yeah. you know, all the things that, that go into an economy because they're a share of economic activity. Bitcoin is different. Bitcoin is digital gold. It's a digital form of an analog commodity that has been money for 5,000 years. It's more portable, more divisible. Simple example. If I had a bar of gold, okay, and if I were mm -hmm. Kyle Bass, you know, famous hedge fund manager, I actually would. He, he reaches under his desk and has this big giant bar of gold that he keeps under his desk <laughs> just as a, as a prop. I don't have one. But if I did, I think I'm in pretty decent shape for an old guy. I couldn't break that bar of gold. Even if I could, I couldn't stuff it in the phone and send you half. Right. But I can send you Bitcoin with a couple taps of, of a keyboard. Mm. And so it's a wonderfully scarce asset that also is divisible and portable mm. and is a digital form of money the way the analog form gold, which then got electronified in you know, Q-SIP form mm -hmm. uh, for the last 5,000 years. And so if I think about, should I own some gold? Of course. I need a little hedge. I need a little goalkeeper. I need a little right defender. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to put all right defenders on my team. Mm. I need a left winger and I need a center back. And um, so it's just, it's really interesting. This dynamic is when, when new ideas pop up and Bitcoin is an expression of a technology, blockchain mm. technology that 
is an evolution of computing power that's been going on since the 50s. I say, my life story is computing. Right. I mean, right. I was born you, in 63. Yeah. But my dad sold and installed mainframe computers that were invented in 1954. Right. So then in 68, when I was five, they invented this thing called the microchip down in Silicon Valley. I grew up in Seattle. And 14 years later, in 1982, they invented, you know, the personal computer. Mm. And turned out it was a big deal. And it's funny, many of my friends don't work because they were smart enough to go to work for Microsoft. I didn't. I always defend myself saying, look at the picture of the original Microsoft 11. You wouldn't have worked <laughs> for them either. Now, they're multi-billionaires. I'm not. I shouldn't make fun of them, but... <laughs> it's a rough picture. We all look bad in the 70s in the U.S., but they look really, it's a funny, it's a funny picture. And the lot, but the story is Bill, Steve Ballmer's mom quoted the Digital Equipment Corp CEO, mm. right? Ken Olson, who said no one would want a computer in their house. And she said to Steve Ballmer, honey, why would you work for that company? No one would want a computer in their house. Mm. Steve has 18 billion reasons he was right. Mom was wrong. Ken was wrong. <laughs> And then Ken's company got bought by a personal computer company, Compaq, 10 years later. So then 14 years later, there's an innovation around the internet. Okay, 1996. Then 14 years later, there's an innovation around the mobile net. And we all had these handheld supercomputers that we walk around with. Yeah. Now, next year, 2024, we have blockchain era. Well, what is the blockchain era? It's the internet of everything. Right? Literally every asset in the world will ultimately have sensors and, and data that comes together in, in this spatial web, this web three. And we went from the internet to the mobile net to this everywhere net or the truth net, as I call it. The truth. And so this is web three? Is it yeah, web three. Yeah. And blockchains are just an operating system. Mm, it's the all there. Mm, yeah. Mm. I mean, think about it. The mainframes ran on COBOL and Fortran programming languages. And then, you know, Spark workstations ran on Spark and Java. And then personal computers ran on DOS and Windows. And then the internet runs on TCP IP. You and I are using TCP IP right now to talk, mm -hmm. you know, third of the way around the world. Yeah. Then mobile phones run on iOS and Android. This is interesting. When Google bought Android in 2005, they got panned. Everybody said, what are you doing that for? What do you know about operating systems? Now they have 80, 80% market share wow. of mobile phones. Apple's only 19%, iOS. Wow. And Android is a pretty good investment. So <laughs> now 2024, blockchains mm -hmm. will be the operating system for, for Web3. And to just say, well, that's not going to happen. I, I mean, name a technology. <laughs> air travel, biotechnology, horseless carriage, that once it got critical mass, you know, famously Henry Ford's lawyer said, Hank, why would you invest in this company? You know, all the people want is a faster horse. Nope, it's not what we wanted. And I went to New York the other day. I did not get in a horse-drawn carriage. I did not get on a train. When my grandfather-in-law, my wife's grandfather, left the safe job at the train company, to go work for American Airlines, <laughs> his parents were horrified. In fact, here's a crazy thing. The airline, I mean, the, the train companies actually passed out pamphlets spreading FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, saying 
If you get on an airplane, you'll die. Your body will cave in on itself from yeah. going too fast, which is I clearly not what happens. But they wanted to save their business. I think the and same thing happened when Edison invited, invented the light bulb. I, oh, James, uh, there's this like, great picture. Keep using candles because yes. light bulbs are dangerous. Uh, dangerous. Yeah. There's a great picture, and it's from, it's from London. I can't remember. It's like 1907, 1908. It's a London periodical, and it shows these wires, and coming out of the wires is this <laughs> big monster made of electri electricity bolts. They wanted you to be afraid of yeah. electricity. Yeah. And look, innovation is hard, right? It disrupts incumbents and jobs get lost. And this is the funny thing. He says, we don't want to have technology because jobs will be lost. Mm. Crazy People ones. do, do, well, but here's the thing. Yes, millions, millions and millions and millions of jobs have been wiped out by technology. But here's an interesting fact. We have more jobs today than any time in human history. Full stop. Mm -hmm. Because, turns out, we are creative. And my favorite is Amazon, 27 years ago, did not exist. It was an idea that this young hedge fund guy had. And in the last 12 months, Amazon is responsible for more than 100% of the net new jobs in America. Right? And they employ 4.5 million people from zero. Wow. And... And there'll be another company in Web3 that does the same thing. So all of this is about, as I'm describing, innovation as an asset class. Most of us are taught there are stocks, there are bonds, there are currencies, there are commodities. Yes, but all of those are created by the big one, innovation. Mm. Can I just ask, though, how, I mean, I'm mindful of I'm, I'm a little bit, I think we've got just about, just under 10 minutes. Do you do you think about innovation even at a at a personal level? I mean, yeah. have you have have you as a CIO, uh, Mark, over the years? I mean, even now, Morgan Creek, you've been up and running for next year is your twentieth anniversary. Have have you had to innovate yourself? Oh, uh, that, James, that is that's like one of the best questions I've ever been asked. I love that. Um, Really, that's, just, that's, that's an amazing question. Um, and, and the answer is definitively yes. All of us constantly have to innovate as, as humans, right? Because we have to, again, get better at our strengths, cleave our weaknesses, prune ourselves, you know, get the dead wood off. We're going to make mistakes and we have to recover and, and learn from them. And I actually refer to my life in, in chapters. So... Uh, I, look, I, I went to school, I went to university to become Mr. Brady. So there's a, a show on American television called The Brady Bunch. Oh, the, yeah, 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 yeah. Mr. Brady was an architect. And I thought that was the coolest job in the world. You made <laughs> models and you got to be home a lot. And like, I want to be an architect. So I went to college to be an architect back mm -hmm. at, at Notre Dame back there. Mm -hmm. And so I get there and I do my first project. And I'm up all night for a week, and I did, we had to map the university space in positive and negative space, in black and white. Okay. And I thought mine was awesome. I mean, I really thought it was great. <laughs> I, and, and you walk in, you put your stuff up on the wall, and the professor walks in, he looks at everybody's, and he comes up to mine, and he says, just misses, B minus. 
Mm. I'm like, what do you mean just misses? It's perfect. What, what, what's wrong with it? She says, I don't know. It, it just misses. Be mine. Like, no, 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 no. And that's when I learned I am not a subjective person. I am an objective person. If you can't tell me why, right? Right. Like I, another funny <laughs> one. So we have two older kids and we wanted four and uh, we weren't going to have any more. And, and so we go to the doctor or we we're, we're having trouble having another one. And we go to the doctor and he says, you know what? You guys just aren't going to have any more. And of course I'm like, well, why? He says, well, that's the funny part. You know, you check out fine. She checks out fine. You're just one of 5%. We can't explain. Mm-hmm. And I actually said, doc, that's unacceptable. Cause that, mathematically that means in 20 years, something could happen. I was off by one year. 19 years later, something happened. So I have a 12-year-old now. So, which is awesome. It's amazing. It's the yeah. greatest gift and blessing. But, you know, it's, it's, you, you got to tell me why. I'm an objective person. So I, I ditched uh, architecture. So that was it. That was the end for you for architecture. <laughs> oh, no, it was the end. It was the end. And so, so I didn't know what to do. And dad said, hey, get an engineering degree. Be a, a consultant like me. Like, mm. okay, good. I love my dad. I'll do that. Three semesters in, I hated electrical engineering. I mean, I hated it. And I was dating this girl and she said, well, why don't you do what you like? I'm like, there's a novel concept. Okay, what do I like? I like, I like science, I like biology and chemistry. All right, I'm going to be pre-med. And so I went and I worked in the hospital and I took pre-med and I'm a biology and chemistry major and I'm filling out my med school apps and they're like, well, why do you want to be a doctor? And, and the true reason is I had worked at this emergency room and all the emergency room docs, they worked eight days a month, eight 24-hour shifts. And most of the time they were sleeping in the back and the nurses were doing all the work. And they drove Porsches, right? Because that's what they did. And yeah. I was like, that doesn't sound good on a med school app. So I ditched that. <laughs> and I was going to go be a consultant like my dad. And when you are graduating with a, a pre-med degree in 1985, there are two jobs. You can be a pharmaceutical sales rep. I am not 6'4 and handsome, so that wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. Or you can be a healthcare consultant. So the guys offered me a job at Accenture. And the guy said, but you know, you've taken no business classes. Why don't you see if you can get into business school? And back then you could still go to business school right out of undergrad, which I don't recommend, but it was good for me. It right. was just like an extension of my undergrad. Mm-hmm. So I did that. And, and then I just took the first job that was offered. This is a long story for a simple answer. So I took the first job that was offered, insurance company, like 40% of people in America that work for insurance. And the lucky thing happened, right? My, my last series of happy accidents, the guy who was doing investments retired. My boss, the CFO said, you do it. Wow. So I started to learn the bond management. And then a friend referred me to an equity firm. I went to work for two professors at Northwestern. And we ran a value equity shop. That's where I, I, I realized my genetics. Value. And then I got the call. I got the call from Notre Dame to go back to my alma mater. So my chapter one, mm. I work for not-for-profits. I worked for Notre Dame and UNC as a chief investment officer, as an allocator. And then I had to reinvent myself. I had to innovate. I learned that I was a little e entrepreneur. People would always say, oh, you're so entrepreneurial. Like, I am the least entrepreneurial person <laughs> I know. I work for not-for-profit. Short of committing a felony, I have a job for life. Right. Like, no, no, you love to build things. Look, you built the management company. You spun out of the university. And that's when I realized there are two types of entrepreneurs. Big E entrepreneurs who invent stuff like Mark like, Andreessen and Larry and Sergey, And little E entrepreneurs that take mm-hmm. new ideas and make old things better. Right, 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 I right. I said, okay, I can do that. So my chapter two was I built 
Morgan Creek Capital Management from 19 years ago to five years ago. Nice little asset management company, had a blast. Five years ago, I reinvented again, innovated yeah. again, because I got exposed to digital assets in 2013. Mm. But in 2013, I was not running drugs on Silk Road. I was not a cryptography student. I didn't get it. And I was skeptical because <laughs> I hadn't done the work. But once I did the work and I had the aha moment that blockchains are infrastructure, I couldn't unsee it. So then I launched Morgan Creek Digital. And so now in my chapter three, I'm a late in life venture capitalist. So we're raising our fourth venture capital fund. We've made 70 investments across the landscape. I'm having more fun, James, than I've ever had in my life. That's amazing. And I loved my jobs. Yeah. I loved my first job. I love my second job. But I'm having more fun today because I'm hanging out with young, passionate, energetic people who are changing the world. And I love it. That's and that's my chapter three. And then my chapter four, someday I'll teach. Yeah. And so that's, you do have to innovate yourself in, in kind of response to the innovation around you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what I was actually getting at. And I think it's interesting that, that with, with Morgan Creek Digital, um, that's just given you just so much more uh, possibility to explore your own ideas and, 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 yep. and I'm sure you you get a lot of energy from from your from your colleagues that are working within that uh, that division um, and as you say a lot of younger folks because I think it's um again I'm mindful of your time here mark but I think do you must do you, again just so if, if we come to the concluding sort of wrap up, on your journey as a CIO, does it give you, you must get a lot of satisfaction um, seeing how you've been a mentor and you've uh, inspired uh, those that work with you. And I'm sure you, you must be seeing that more, more, more evidently now with Morgan Creek Digital, where it is maybe a younger crop of, uh, of really exceptional people. Uh, that look, are working I, again, such a great, insightful question. So one of the things I'm most proud of um, is the people that used to work at the creek. We call them creakers. There are more ex-creakers than creakers. We've had a lot of really talented people because I'm, I'm actually decent at identifying talent. Mm. Like Coach K said, that, that's our job. Identify talent. Yeah. And I recruited them to come here. They, they learned and then they've gone out to do amazing things. We have CIOs of huge families and huge organizations. We have people who built businesses. I'm super proud of that. I'm, I'm super proud of, we also set up a foundation when we started, stole the idea from Julian Robertson and we take 10% of our profits and, and do early childhood education. I'm super okay. proud of that. Yeah. I am, I, I'm, I'm also proud of the fact that now as a, as a venture capitalist, I can, help mentor young people who are building businesses mm -hmm. because I, it's been around. I'm just, I'm just old. I've made enough mistakes. I'm still, I'm still going, you know, they, that the old edge that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's yeah. true. Yeah. And, and experience is valuable. And, and there's a combination of, um, look, all great innovation comes from young people because mm. they don't know what they don't know. And they're willing to imagine the unimaginable and they're willing to try things. They're not afraid of failure. And you know, before it was not cool to quote Will Smith, he has this great quote, right? He says, fail fast and fail forward. And part of the reason we focus on early childhood education is 
our whole educational system is broken. Mm. It's designed to train factory workers. Right. And that's not what we need in a knowledge economy. In a knowledge economy, we need problem solvers and innovators. Mm. And so we need to start over. And the key is we don't want to discourage failure. We want to encourage failure. Mm-hmm. We want to embrace failure. You know, yeah. fall down seven, get up eight. We need to have resilience and, and persistence. And those are the things that we should reward. Like, I rail against the participation trove back to soccer. So my, my little guy, when he was four, <laughs> played, played soccer. And in Chapel Hill, uh, the People's Republic, as we refer to it, they don't keep score in soccer. I'm like, why not? Well, someone might lose. I'm like, well, that's why you play the game. Yeah. Well, people get their feelings hurt. Like, so what? You learn how to get better. So my son's team, when he was four, went 0 and 10. 0 and 10. 0 and 10. Right. And it wasn't close. I mean, it was, it was bad. And he had fun, and that's fine. But he went 0 and 10. And they gave him a little medal. Medal went in trash. Mm. And people are horrified. that Why would you say? I'm like, no, you don't get a medal for 0 and 10. You don't get a medal for 0 and 10. Yeah. You got to get better. You got to learn. You got to grow. And one of the best things that ever happened to me was getting cut from the baseball team in high school because then I focused on soccer and was going to play soccer and all this good stuff. So setbacks, failures, the ability to be resilient, to be able to reinvent yourself, mm-hmm. all of that is is absolutely critical. So I think what you want to do as, again, as a leader, as a, as a, as a manager, as a as just as a human in our society, is you want to, again, analyze what you're good at. Be wary of what you're, you're less good at. Surround yourself with people that compliment you, okay? Not everyone the same. And, and who will debate you. Dialogue and debate in search of truth mm-hmm. is the most important thing there is. Mm-hmm. Social mm-hmm. media is ruining that because mm-hmm. now if two people have a different opinion, you're not even allowed to talk to each other. Right, right, right. Are you kidding me? No, no, no. We have to talk. And don't talk, yeah. don't talk to convince the other person of your opinion. Talk to learn. Mm. Talk to listen. Mm. Right? The old two ears, one mouth. Okay. Yes, it's all true. And dialogue and debate in search of truth is what makes us better. And that's what's important. And that's that's what again, as I think about my my career and, and my life, that migration over time. Mm-hmm. of observing. I said, I'm, I'm pretty good at synthesis. I can take inputs and I can kind of boil it down and say, okay, this one's important. Maybe this one's less. And then the ability to focus on something and and make it happen. And it doesn't have to be a reinvention of the wheel. Mm-hmm. It can be making something that's really known a little bit better. The little e-entrepreneur and uh, <laughs> and build good teams. Surround yourself with great people. That's, that's uh, yeah, I, well, most inspiring leader for you? Just, just a short, maybe don't... Oh, uh, God, there's, who, who, there's so many. I mean, yeah. look, the, be... the easy answer is, is Steve Jobs. I mean, he, okay. he was just mm. unbelievable in his mm. vision, in his communication skills, in his uh, relentless focus on perfection. Right. 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 Yeah. And my favorite thing about him is, and this is also true at, at IBM. So you can go back to the early days of IBM before it got wrecked, mm. when they had the, the one word that was on top of everybody's door, think. Right. I actually had my wife cross stitch and it's in my, my desk drawer. And think, literally, put your feet up and think. Because one of the problems, there's a great essay by William Derizowitz 
called Solitude and Leadership. And it's a speech that he gave to the incoming class at the Army, uh, it's Army-Navy uh, weekend, uh, and, and at the Army uh, Academy, um, West Point. Oh, yeah. He talked to yeah. them and he yeah. said, you know, solitude, like being alone with your thoughts is really, really important. And if and one of the points he made, which I, I think about a lot, if you ask anyone what they think of something, some current event, some idea, the first thing out of their mouth is something they heard from someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's easy, right? Just parrot what you heard. And, and, and really, what's really we should do is take in a bunch of information, think about it, mm. that word think, that Jobs was great at and IBM was great at, and then tell what we think. And right, so, right, right, right. you know, but there, there are synthesis. lots of, there, there are some other great, great leaders out there, but I, I guess I'll just take the easy one and go Steve. No, I mean, that's pretty, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, and we've, we've, we've spoken about some great sports coaches during our discussion as well. I mean, yeah, it's, it, you could, you could rattle off a, a long list, but I just thought it was interesting to understand who has kind of inspired you, Mark. And it's been a, I mean, it's been a fascinating journey for you over the last, well, two decades and more, frankly, yeah. and uh, really yeah, great, yeah, yeah. Really great to hear what you're doing with the with the digital uh, arm of the business. I mean, it's super it's super exciting. The whole infrastructure build out now over the coming years. I think, is, especially with the quantum computing developments. Uh, so much going on, and and, and look, technology evolves at an increasing pace. Mm. It's exponential growth. And and here's the thing, just to leave you with this thought yeah. that that yeah. will blow people's minds. So in the last hundred <laughs> years. You know, we've gone from no cars to driverless cars, right? So pretty amazing in the last 100 years and, and more technological progress in the last 100 years than the previous 1800, right? Mm. In the next 50 years, we will grow a quadrillion times. Like people can't even imagine what quadrillion is, but, <laughs> but technology will grow a quadrillion times. So the ability to imagine the unimaginable, to realize that, as Newton said, said, I'm not that smart. I just stand on the shoulders of giants. I'm like, no, you were pretty smart. But but he's true. He's right, right? Mm -hmm. Every innovation stands on the shoulders of previous innovations. And the reason we went from client server technology to to the internet Mm -hmm. was a pretty good leap. But the mobile net to the internet was a much bigger leap. So Web 1 created $2 trillion of value. Mm. Web two created $5 trillion mm-hmm. of value. Web three, I don't know, 15, 20 trillion. Mm. And then web four, multiples of that because we're getting into that exponential yeah. growth. And other than human creativity, which is I think the most powerful force on the planet, compounding and exponential growth is, is a close second. Absolutely, no, absolutely. Very well said. You can probably tell, Mark, that it's getting a bit dark where I am at the moment. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've Absolutely. just noticed my light very gradually fading. So I'm, I'm, I better get my candles uh, lit. And uh, uh, just speaking about earlier about Edison with his <laughs> with yep. the light bulb. Well, enjoy, enjoy the rest of the evening. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. And uh, oh, it's been yeah. some of the long answers, but. Uh, 
this has been a, no, it's been a real pleasure, Mark. I mean, I really uh, wish you well for the rest of. I mean, admittedly, we've only got a few weeks of the year left, but it's been fascinating getting your your thoughts. Uh, really appreciate your time on this, and um, wish you all the best for next year. And um, look forward to speaking with you again soon. It's been a it's been a real pleasure, and thanks so much. No, thanks for having me. It, it is. It uh, we will definitely do this again. I'd love to. Just- I'd love to. Everyone needs to remember that 2024 is a really, really important year. It is that it is that 14th year in that 14-year cycle, and and yeah. we're gonna have a lot of fun uh, yeah. over the next few years. So, well, and, and it's your two-decade anniversary. So, what better way to celebrate? Ah, absolutely, it's a good point. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mark. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, James.